Kings 13 this morning, and we've been talking about the life and times of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Rehoboam's the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam was an officer in in Solomon's court. While Solomon was alive, a a few things happened, and Jeroboam ended up uh, literally fleeing and and going to Egypt, where he literally was part of uh, the leadership in Egypt, and they took him into the court of Egypt and and trained him in in leadership at that time. When Solomon dies, uh, Jeroboam comes back to confront the new king, Rehoboam. Now, Jeroboam had been living uh, with, with the promise that God had given him, and he, he, he woke up every morning probably thinking about this promise and reminding himself every day that, you know, today we're going to see if this is going to happen. The Lord has given me this, this promise that I'm going to be king over, over ten of the tribes. When is that going to happen? And, uh, and I, I want to say, if God has ever given you a promise, you hang on to it, because there's no telling when that's going to happen. Because I think it was, you know, David was promised to be king, and it took seven years before David actually took the throne of Israel. And we see the idea of, of Jeroboam, God giving him a promise, and, and it taking a little time for that to come to fruition, that, that God works on a different timetable than we work on. Uh, I work on a different timetable than my son works on. You know, he, immediate, he wants me to play with him all the time. Well, sometimes I can't do that, you know? And so I kind of relate that to God. God works on a different timetable sometimes. And, and, uh, and you know, you got to hang on to those promises. Now, I, I do want to give one, um, oh, what do you say? Uh, um, you got to be careful. Some people are, are, are prophets. Some people are, are you know, kind of truth tellers. Or some people are, are a prophet from the standpoint of God kind of gives them a word of God. And, and sometimes it's about other people. And they may even come to you and say, you know, God told me to tell you this. And, and all of a sudden it's a promise. And they'll say, you know, through the word of God, I was, I was you know, reading the other day and your, your name came to my mind. So I thought I needed to tell you this. And sometimes that can be totally 100% from God. But what you need to say is thank you. I'm going to pray about this, and then you take that to the Lord, and then you say, Lord, please either confirm this or deny this, one of the two, because we're human. We make mistakes, and we can go to people and say, God told me to tell you this, and it'd be something not from God. I mean, you had bad pizza the night before or something. I don't know, but sometimes, so you got to be able to say, well, 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 I'll pray about this. And if somebody gets really upset about that to begin with, well, then you know it's not from God. You know what I'm saying? Because godly people will go, that's perfect. That's what you're supposed to do. So sometimes the Lord does give us a word. The word given to to Jeroboam was confirmed by Scripture, and it was given by a a man of God, Ahijah. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and what that promise was that he would become the king of, of ten tribes. Now there's one thing that I do not think we understand. Most of us forget that the Word of God has a direct effect on our daily lives if we allow it to. It's not just a historical thing. It's not just, oh, let me learn this stuff. Oh, that's great moral stuff. Okay, that's great. It's stuff that should have a direct effect into our lives. And this is why I teach the way I do. And it's great when we take the next step and we start to study the Word of God ourselves and, 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 and to be able to understand where God wants us to, to be and how God wants us to act in this life. 
Now, in chapter 12, the Lord fulfilled what was promised. And like I said, it didn't happen immediately. Jeroboam went to, to Egypt, and Rehoboam comes to power, and Israel starts to really come unglued as a nation. And, and you often see this in, in times of, of switching of leadership. Things kind of come unglued. And the ten tribes are really unhappy with, with the way things are headed, so they call Jeroboam up and say, you go talk to him. So he meets with Ray, you know, and basically says, hey, you need to lighten up on us. You know, it's too many taxes, too many of this, too many of that. Um, you know, and Rehoboam takes that and goes, okay, well, let me go get some advice. And he gets some bad advice and says, forget you. I'm going to make things actually harder on you. So we see 10 of the tribes that, that, that split away, and the northern tribe is called Israel, and the southern part is called Judah. And it's like this for hundreds of years. And 1 Kings chapter 12 is pivotal for the nation of Israel during that time. 1 Kings chapter 12, that's where it is. So when you hear the word Judah, think of the southern kingdom. And you hear the word Israel, think of the northern kingdom. Rehoboam is controlling Judah and, and, uh, and Jeroboam is uh, controlling Israel. And Jeroboam does a pretty good job until he sees the people headed south. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He went from things are just glorious, things are great, I'm king, God's fulfilled what he promised, and, but why are those people traveling down the road? Well, they're going to, to worship God for one of the festivals. And he went from, from well, they're going to go worship God to they're going to they're go back there and they're going to get under Rehoboam's thumb and they're going to come back and they're going to kill me. So he went from, I get up in the morning to see people traveling to, I'm going to die when they come back. He did the whole what if thing. And we kind of talked about that. This whole idea of, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And we can allow our minds to run rampant with what if, if we allow it to. And everybody deals with this. He saw this as a as huge problem. Some of our what ifs, you know, revolve around work. I'm going to get fired. Some of us you know, our what-ifs are, are part of our marriage. Well, he's not happy or she's not happy. They're going to leave me, and, and you kind of freak out on that end. Some of us, it's our, our physical appearance, because I've noticed that as I get older, I, I don't get more handsome. I don't know why that is. Our aches and our bodies and our pains, you know, all that, our bodies are breaking down. We all have what-if buttons, don't we? And, and it's good if you know what that button is, you know, because then when somebody pushes it, you can either react like you normally do, or you can think, okay, they just pushed my button, what should I do? And react differently than what your natural inclination is. But we all have those what-if buttons. So Jerry's what-if button got pushed, and it will take him to, to make decisions that are so unwise. He overreacted. Have you ever done this? just take something else and you're overreacting and you don't know why you're overreacting and even other people are going why are you freaking out about this so much but you're 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 down that road you actually cause more issues by the, by your reaction now what he does is is really unbelievable he builds two worship sites and he builds two golden calves to worship and he sets these things up in the, in the places of worship now, they did this hundreds of years before, like 300 years before, and it didn't quite work out well for them, if you might remember that. But here is repeating the sin of, our four, you know, of his forefathers. And I think that's one of the things that we have to remember also. Um, as we grow up, our idea for, you know, if you're a parent, you want things better for your child, right? 
You don't want them to make the same mistakes as you've made, right? But for some reason, we go through this process where, where we see our children making the same mistakes, our grandchildren making the same mistakes, and somewhere down the line, we have to put a stop to that. We have to say, okay, what did my parents do good? Let, let me hold on to that. Okay, what did my parents, I don't want to say bad, but what did they, they do that, that wasn't necessarily how I would do it? And then when you get to that point, you make a different decision. You make a godly decision. Because none of us are perfect as parents, right? If you're a perfect parent, raise your hand. What, no hands? Unbelievable. Man, what are we going to do now? We're going to mess up our kids. That's what we're going to do. We like messing up our kids. My kid, is, uh, he doesn't need a, a college fund. He needs a you know, psychology fund, a, you know, something along those lines. Well, you may ask, well, why, why calves? Why do golden calves? It's come up twice now in the scriptures. Why golden calves? Well, that's the way the Canaanites worship. Their idea was if we built a golden calf and, and their God would come in and set on the golden calf. So if we build a golden calf, maybe God will show up and set on the calf and we can commune with God. It was a Canaanite way of worshiping. So, the, you know, they set this up. Maybe God will come there. And so you kind of have this portable God. And here's a couple of pictures of, and Stephanie, it's not working. There we go. Um, here's a couple of pictures of the, the actual site uh, up in Dan where, where one, of the, one of the worship things they set up. Now, the, the, the metal piece on here kind of shows you the idea of where the altar was, how big it would have been from every, all the research. But literally all the stone that's there, there, there's steps over there on the other side, those steps. I mean, this is 3,000 years old, not much rain in Israel. And uh, 3,000 uh, years ago, they would have been worshiping Bel or the Canaanite god at this site. Israel would have been. What, what a sad tragedy this is. And I think there's one more picture of the over, kind of overview of the site there. He basically said, guys, you don't have to leave. You, you know, you don't have to go down south to worship. I'll set up a place of worship here. I'll even appoint some priests here. And, and we'll make up new holidays just like Hallmark does. And, and that way you can buy cards and give them to one another. And it'll be, you know, so we see one sin just led to another. And it's hard not to continue sin without confession. You just keep down that path unless you stop yourself and repent. And Jeroboam does not repent. So he keeps just going right down that path and breaking one biblical law after another. Worship was supposed to be centralized in Jerusalem. There was no other places that you were ever supposed to offer sacrifice. Only one temple no idols anywhere. Think of the Ten Commandments. I mean, he's just breaking one after another of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments ex- help explain the other 622 commandments, okay? Think of it that way. The priests were only supposed to be Levites, and this is why it's called Levitical law. The king was never sacrificed things himself. When he became, you know, came before the Lord, he was supposed to be just like everyone else, and he was there to worship but he didn't. He, he's supposed to be a forgiven sinner, but he's there actually sacrificing. This is why David did things better than, than most of the other kings. David saw himself as a chief worshiper, not to lead people in worship, but to, be the, uh, but to worship, 
Jeroboam did not think of himself that way. He, you know, uh, we saw last week in, or two weeks ago in Second Chronicles where, where all the Levites left the north because of what Jeroboam was doing. So, you know, not because the south was better, but they could be Levites and they could lead worship the way they're supposed to be doing. And Jeroboam is going, well, I need some other people to lead worship because they're not going to do it the way I want it to be done. So I just appoint these other guys. But we see that, that God doesn't instantly discipline Jeroboam. So he thinks he gets away with it. Have you ever done this where you've you kind of gone down that path where you know it's not biblically correct, you know it's a sin, and you don't instantly get caught? I mean, I, you know, I'm playing that, that fine line with my son on, on not calling him on every little thing because I could just be, you know, and, and that's not a great way to treat your son all the time, you know. But he's starting to lie. And, and where's the line between, okay, his imagination and, and stuff, and he's just, well, let me put it like this. Children of his age, their imagination and reality, they mix a lot. So sometimes he doesn't realize he's lying, but sometimes he outright knows he's lying. You know what I'm saying? So I've got to play that parent fine line between when do I call him on it and when do I not? Because I don't want him to be like Jeroboam and think that he's just getting away with it all the time. And that's what Jeroboam is doing with God. He thinks he's getting away with it because God just doesn't, you know, and squish him like a little ant, you know. That's how I would do it if I was God. Praise the Lord, I'm not God, right? God just doesn't hit him right there with lightning. I mean, that would be, you know, that would be the other God, Baal, the lightning God, you know. But since our God, who is full of, you know, mercy and grace, who the psalmist said, you know, is slow to anger and, you know, abounding in mercy to the thousandth generation. That's who our God is. Now, since he just doesn't whack us one, we often see God just give us time and he leaves people alone for a while, hoping that they're going to come back to him. Hoping they're going to see that, that path they're taking of sin is not a good path and that, that they would come back to the Lord. But, you know, we take God so for granted. We often get mad at him. God, why are they succeeding? Why are they getting away with it? And, and, and it, you know, we, we take his patience for granted. And all of a sudden we find ourselves where we're putting, you know, getting to the point where we're like, okay, well, this must be okay because, you know, our God's changed his mind. You know, it's, it's the 21st century. Get with the times. Times have changed, okay? That's all Old Testament stuff. That's all, you know, that's all old stuff. But sometimes God is like a rubber band. He will stretch and stretch and stretch until a point. And then what happens? Snaps back at you. And when it does, it's, it's through discipline and judgment. It happens in individuals' lives. It happens in countries. It happens in companies. It happens in schools. It happens in business. It seems to be a cycle, almost like a life cycle. Forty years, you know, Israel obeyed, and, and we're kind of like that. We go through a time where we obey, and God just blesses. And then all of a sudden we go through a time where we don't obey, and he withdraws his blessing. And discipline starts to begin until we start to obey again. Now, where do you think America is in this cycle? You have to ask yourself, if God was going to bless a country, would he bless America and America's decisions as we go forward right now? Say in the last 15, 20 years of our history of, as a country, do you think God's blessing it? 
We are God's remnants. God has us in this country for a reason. I don't know why I was born in America versus Africa versus Australia versus anywhere else in this world. But I, knew, I do know that God has a plan for me, and He has me in America for a reason. We have to multiply this effect by getting involved in our community. Because eventually, God's judgment will rain down. Now, one of the most beautiful things about God is His patience, His grace, His patience, His mercy. You know, they're absolutely fabulous. Wouldn't you say so? I'm so thankful for that. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd I'd be all bruised up from getting hit by God all the time, you know? Whack, whack, whack. But he has that patience. As a matter of fact, there's a well-known secret among the, uh, you know, among the righteous. And what I say is, I didn't say perfect, okay? Don't get me wrong. The righteous, those that continually go back to God and ask for forgiveness, Because if you truly, truly repent of something, I mean repent, sackcloth sackcloth and, and ashes of the heart type of thing. God, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I, why did I even choose? God, if I were you, I would judge me. But don't, because I repent. I repent. Often, almost always, True repentance, come to find out, will we'll almost always, we will never face punishment that we should have gotten during true repentance. Almost always. Not all the time, but almost. We never face the full consequence. And that is a wonderful thing. Now, eventually, Because of heaven and hell and the way life works and eternity and the way it all plays out, everyone will face consequence. We will all stand before God in judgment. And if you are a Christian, those that have said, by the blood of Jesus, cleanse me, atone my sins that I have, and and I will not, not face eternity paying for those sins. Because that's what a Christian is. A bunch of people who are blessed enough Blessed not to face our consequences that we deserve. Because I tell you, well, one thing I know about Christians, we're not all that spiritual. You know, we, we like to dress up on Sundays and, and, you know, I grew up in the South. The ladies, ladies had the white gloves, you know. But I know one thing, we're all human. And we all live by, by you know, the covering of His blood and that's it. And this is why after we repent, we don't worry about every little thing. So if something is going on, give it over to the Lord. Go to the Lord, repent of it. Lord, I I know I deserve this, but can you help me out with this? Can you not punish me here? Because we need to, to not live under the cloud of God is going to whack me someday. We need to get out from under that cloud of, well, God is mad at me all the time, and, and, and I, I got to do this or do that to, to get his grace or his mercy. No, all you have to do is for, you know, go and ask for forgiveness. All you have to do is go and spend time with the Lord. Don't live under that cloud that God is after me. Because we act like the thing that Jesus did on the cross doesn't affect us. Well, it affects you when you go and repent. But unfortunately for Jeroboam, it doesn't happen because he doesn't listen to God. In fact, it goes on in the scripture and says, uh, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar, making, uh, ready to make an offering. And again, we've talked about this. He shouldn't be doing this. This guy is totally messed up. 
Verse 2, it says, He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. So, so the prophet is saying this now. A son named Josiah will be born in the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests and the high priests who now make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of, the, uh, man of God gave a sign. This is a sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. Now, do you think God is trying to get Jeroboam's attention here? Jeroboam's about to make a sacrifice to a false god, and a prophet shows up and says this. This is a public event that's happening. There's probably hundreds of people around watching this. God has tried so many other ways to get his attention, and it hasn't happened yet, so he finally went the public route. Now, the, pub, the, the prophet mentions Josiah here, as, and it's a future king of Israel. And, you know, eight years old, he takes over the kingdom and turns him back to God. In fact, uh, I, I love that story so much, I named my son after that. His middle name is Josiah, because I want him to turn people back to God. That's my desire for him. So, but, but what's interesting is, this is a future king. This happens 300 years later. This is why it's so hard to track with God sometimes, because God looks at long-term things. We look at three minutes from now, three, three hours from now, three days from now. God looks at 300 years from now, 3,000 years. You see my point? Sometimes it's hard to track with God on that. He thinks generations. I mean, this would be like King Louis XIV, you know, predicting in the 1700s that, that Barack Obama would become president of the United States, which wasn't even here yet that he would be from Hawaii. And people in, you know, in the 1700s would be going, Hawaii, what's Hawaii? I mean, that's how unlikely it is. But when you're a believer, you start to understand, you start to see the, the anointing of the Word of God and how amazing God is and how God works. And you start to see things differently. You're not crazy, you're just a believer. Even though the world says you're crazy. You're just a believer goes on and says when king jeroboam heard what a man heard what the man of god cried out against the altar at bethel he stretched out his hand from the altar and said seize him okay the hand's important here but the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so they could not pull it back out so he stretched out his hand and says seize him and all of a sudden his arm just kind of all the muscles just kind of restrict and go back and he doesn't have use to, of his hand anymore Wow, I mean, you think God's trying to get his attention a little bit more? Also, the altar was split apart and the ashes poured out according to the sign given by the word, by the man of God, by the word of the Lord. Well, this guy's the real deal, Jeroboam finds out. And now Jeroboam is, is kind of slapped in the face in public. Everybody's watching. But on the other hand, he screams out, arrest the man. And anyone who's confronted in this way usually reacts this way. Our first reaction is usually confrontational, right? Somebody comes to us and says something in a negative way, we go right back at them. That's just human nature here. And that's why we're trying to acquire Jesus' nature in our life and kind of put that human nature back down. So the king who was trained by the pharaohs basically says, arrest that man. You can't treat me that way. I am king here. You cannot do that. But all of a sudden, his hand just shrivels up. 
And then what does he do? Does he repent? You would think he would. It says here in verse 6, Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. Well, this is very interesting. I don't think his hand was the real issue, but that's what he's focused on. Hey, can you pray to your God and get him to fix my hand? He's not even saying my God anymore. He's gone so far down this path that he's not even, not even worshiping Yahweh anymore. He's com- completely devoted to worshiping a false god here. But can you do this? It's interesting because we do the same all the time. We go from one crisis to another, and God's trying to do all these things to get our attention, but we never get past the issue itself. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? I mean, think about it. One issue after another after another, and we just deal with the, with, with the problem and not the underlying issue. We live from one crisis to another. Why? Well, if I'm dealing with the withered hand, I don't have to deal with the underlying issue. If I'm dealing with the, with the crisis part, I don't have to deal with, with what's underneath and what I should be dealing with. You don't have to deal with the withered heart if you're dealing with the withered hand. And if you're, you know, if you're always dealing with the freaking out, each day you just have something new to freak out about. Maybe you're freaking out as so much, you know, so much because you're freaking out so much because the bottom line is not being met. Your relationship with God is not there. And God is allowing the one thing to happen after another until he gets your attention. We say, well, what kind of God would that be? I say it's a very loving God, a very loving God. He should have struck Job, uh, Jeroboam dead right there in front of the altar. How dare he try to worship another God after he worshiped the true living God? How dare he do that? I mean, that should make you angry. How, I mean, how can he lead people, lead a nation in the wrong direction after he worshiped God? I mean, come on! He should have been struck down by lightning right there. He should not have lived. I mean, the first golden calf should not, I mean, it should have short-circuited him and electrocuted him right there. But this is our God. Chance after chance after chance. And my response is to this, I say, take a chance on God. Because he will give you that chance after chance after chance. If this is you, if you've gone against God, go back to God because he's giving you another chance. You have nothing to lose. Everyone should have reacted here like, wow, the king was struck by God. What should we do? What should our reaction be? But they don't. They don't do anything. And it goes on, it says, So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and it became uh, as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. Look at what the king's doing here. He got a public rebuke from God's prophet in front of everyone. So it's time for damage control, right? Time to get out there and, and make sure that, that everybody understands. I need a photo op with the God guy, you know, get him over to my house. If I get him to my house and eat, then, then everybody will go, oh, good, they're, they're working it out. This is good. Everything's okay. Verse 8, it says, but the man of God answered the king, 
Even if I were to give you, or even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I am, was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. God is so disgusted by what is happening here at Bethel. He basically says, I'm not even spending the night here. I am out of here in case God thinks about the lightning thing. And here is the prophet rebuking him again. See, one thing about prophets is they tell the truth. Now, prophets usually get punished for telling the truth. Have you ever, you know, if you ever, if somebody has a gift of, of prophecy, you know, we think of it as future telling, but, but a gift of prophecy can be telling the truth. It can be dividing the word of God. It can be other things than, than just future stuff. But somebody who can, can really, you know, get to the crux of the issue and just tell the truth. Sometimes they're too blunt, aren't they? Don't you love somebody comes up to you and you know they're right, but they're like, you know what? And you're just like, okay, maybe that's just me. But you know, but you know they're right. But man, they, they usually end up getting punished for that. What did Jesus say about the prophets? He said, you killed all the prophets to, to Israel. He said this to the Jews. He said, you killed John the Baptist and you're going to kill me. I mean, isn't this a gift that you want to have? Yeah, the gift of prophecy. It's a wonderful gift. It's a necessary gift. Now, do you think God has Jeroboam's attention? No. So what happens? Well, we're not going to read all of it, so you can go back and read it later. But even this prophet ends up blowing, blowing it, and he ends up losing his life. And one thing... One other thing that Jeroboam knows about that, uh, that, that happened, well, he, he hears about what's going on with the prophet, and he ends up killing the prophet, but the prophet makes mistakes, and God holds him accountable, and God brings him home. And at this point, the point is this. God keeps trying to get a hold of Jeroboam, keeps, keeps trying to get his attention. And do you think he gets it? Well, verse 33 Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places and all from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for uh, for the high places as long as they paid him some money. Oh, that part's not in there, but I'm sure it was there. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to the downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. So do you think God just strikes him down with a, with a you know, bolt of lightning at this point? No. He tries again. It says here, uh, at that time, uh, 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 Abijah, I always get him and the other guy mixed up. Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. So, so his son becomes ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, go disguise yourself so that you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. You basically, he's going, she's going to a prophet there for help. The, the prophet uh, Ahijah, not Abijah. See, there's the difference. Abijah the son is ill, and Ahijah is the prophet. And, and go there, and, and, you know, because Ahijah once said something really good about Jeroboam. So just maybe that'll happen again. 
So Ahijah the prophet is there, and the one who told me, uh, the one who told me I would be king over the people, take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. So, if the prophet is blind and the wife disguises herself, do you think the prophet's going to understand who she is? He's a prophet. Of course he's going to understand this. He's going to understand it. He wouldn't be a true prophet if he didn't know who that was. I think the disguise was, you know, had everything to do with the people and not the prophet. Because if, if the king was sending his wife to go talk to the prophet of the true God, then what happens to his whole new philosophy of religion for the people? That gets washed down the drain, right? So she's disguising herself. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of the footsteps at the, uh, footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why the pretense? I've been sent to you with bad news. This is not a good greeting from him. Go tell, the, go tell Jeroboam, this is what the, Lord, uh, what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. Remember the, you know, the... The whole deal with the, the, the prophecy of him becoming king. And if you follow my ways, and if you do my ways, if you do all those things, follow my commands, keep those commands, do this with all your heart, not be perfect. David wasn't perfect, but he always came back to God. He didn't do that. You have done more evil than all who live before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have provoked me to anger and, and, uh, and th- uh, yeah. You did that and thrust me behind my back. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one who, who burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country, the Lord has spoken. Now, wouldn't you have rather repented than have this come your way? He didn't. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. Now, what do you think Jeroboam would do? you think he would repent here? I mean, God has obviously got his attention here. But do you think he would repent? He doesn't. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who cut off the family of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Yes, even now. And the Lord will strike Israel so that the 
Uh, it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from, from the good land and give it to their forefathers and scatter them beyond the river because they provoked the Lord to anger by making uh, Ashereth poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins that Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. This is what he's talking about. Right here, the Assyrians come in and take away the 12 tribes. It doesn't happen instantly, or it takes away the 10 tribes. It doesn't happen instantly, but it will happen. The Lord is predicting it right here. All because of Jeroboam, and then the people allowed Jeroboam to lead them away from God. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and took what, uh, and left, and went to Tizra. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, as the Lord had said through the servant and prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars, and how he ruled were written in the book of the annuals of the the kings of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his fathers, and Nahab, his son, succeeded him as king. For the rest of first, uh, first and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we see a recurring theme. The statement will be said over and over and over again: the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam. Fifteen of the following kings, they will say about them: the sins of Jeroboam, meaning they did not follow the Lord and His ways. Wouldn't you love your life to be summed up in this way? Wow. The sins of Jeroboam. What would your sentence be? I mean, think about it this way. Abraham Lincoln, he freed the slaves. That's what we you know, you think. You know, different sentences he might have said or whatever. But I mean, predominantly we think he freed the slaves, right? Okay, good. Thank you for the feedback there. Thomas Jefferson, you know, the beginning of our country. Lewis and Clark, adventurers, Right? Okay, Roosevelt, this day will live in infamy, right? JFK, think not what, what your country can do for you. Nixon, I am not a crook. <laughs> Bill Clinton, okay, wait, no, 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 we're not going to go there. I mean, if 20 or 50 or 100 years from now someone said your name, what is going to be the sound bite attached to it? Well, Alan, I can't control that. Yes, you can. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of redemption. God can even redeem you for the time that you've already wasted in this life, but you have to repent. You have to come to him. You have to say, my way is the wrong way, God. Let me go to, toward your way, toward your path. I am, you know, I am not who I need to be and who you want me to be. I need to change. What is going to be said about you in 20 or 50 years from, from now? For me, I hope it's not, man, he sure did love Hawaii. I mean, I do love Hawaii, but I hope that's not what I'm remembered for. You know what I'm saying? I hope it was, he was a good leader, he was a good teacher, he loved his family. I mean, there's many things that I hope it is, but I hope it's not just that. You have an effect on what's going to be said about you later by the way you act now. Care about the legacy you're going to leave. Care about it. Your reputation on the block matters. 
Your reputation at work matters. Your reputation with your friends matter. It is way more important than you realize because you are God's ambassador to this world. Everywhere you go, you take God with you. Are you being God's ambassador? God has called you to more than fire insurance. Accepting God keeps you out of hell. And praise the Lord, that is enough. But God has called us way beyond that in our lives to affect those around us. So here's my last question for you. God has been doing things in your life to get your attention. Is he getting it? Because if God has been trying to, you know, if one thing after another after another, guess what? God is not going to stop until he has your attention. That's the great thing about our God. When I talk to my son, I'm like Brandon. And if he doesn't hear me, I say a little louder, Brandon. And I keep saying it, or I go grab him, or I do something. He, I, I'm going to get his attention. God is the same way. He wants to get our attention. So give it to him. Give it to him. Look at him and say, God, you have my attention. Now what do you want me to do? And God's going to say, no, no, no. It's not the doing part. I want you to be with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. We'll get to the doing stuff later. We'll get to the, where you should serve and how you should serve and, and what I want you to do later. But it's not about the do. It's about the be. It's about the, having that relationship, that fellowship with God. Has God been trying to get your attention? If that is you today, I say do everything you can to let God know that he has your attention. Because you don't want life to continue the way it's going, right? Or maybe he has your attention and you're like, okay, Lord, I'm I'm ready for the next step. Then go the next step. Go the next step. Well, that is it for this morning. Why don't uh, don't we pray real quick and and then uh, we have an announcement we're going to make here. So. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and what you mean to our lives. And we pray that, uh, that when we have, or when you have our attention, that we would come to you. We pray that you don't give up on us. That you don't strike us down, even though sometimes we totally, 100% deserve it. We pray that, that when you try to get our attention, that we turn around and say, yes, Lord. What is it, Lord? And then lead us, Lord. Don't just leave us out there, but lead us. Let us allow you into our lives. Let us allow you into our work, into our home, into our family. Give us the strength to that, Lord. So that we may have a great reputation. So 20 years or 50 years from now, they will have great things to say about us when our name comes up. And it not be a negative. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he never turn his face from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.